Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hewn. I reject the idea that financial freedom has to wait until retirement. When we slow down to reflect on our values and use money to intentionally support those values, we can move on from a job we hate, waste less money, build greater wealth, and reach financial freedom sooner. Thanks for slowing down with me today. All right, welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast, everybody. My guest today is Kaleem All, and he's hands down one of the smartest people I've ever had the pleasure of getting to know. Um, and I mean this in, in more ways than one. Certainly, I mean from an intellectual standpoint. You know, Kaleem, you and I have had some of the deeper and more reflective conversations that I can recall. But also, I mean this from sort of a street smarts kind of a way. And, and here's what I mean by that. So many of us, especially highly intelligent people, chase society's definition of success. Find a job in corporate, climb the ladder, make lots of money. Of course, this turns out disastrously for a lot of people. Um, as my friend Matt Doan likes to say, we willingly climb into the corporate cage that society puts us in, and most of us are just stuck in that for the rest of our lives, and we end up feeling somewhat empty inside. Now, Kaleem, on the other hand, had the smarts to never get in that damn cage in the first place. He's intentionally chosen to pursue a life of meaning, and he uses money purely as a tool to take care of himself and his loved ones. And at the end of the day, that's all money is. It's a tool to help us live the life that we want to live and pursue the things that we want to pursue. So, Kaleem, thanks for coming on today, man. How's it going? It is going great. I'm glad to see you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Glad to see you as well. Always good to see you, my friend. Um, so what we want to talk about today is category design. When I first met Kaleem, this is something that we talked about at great lengths. And um, some of these concepts and strategies behind category design, I've implemented in, in developing my business and getting it off the ground. And so, Kaleem, for, for someone who's never even heard of the concept of category design, how would you explain it? What I would say is that, first of all, you know, categorizing things using language is how humans understand things, right? So categorizing things in general is how we understand things. So when we think about, you know, category design, what we're really doing is we are trying to change things from the way they are, which can be categorized, into a new and different reality, which can also be categorized, right? In essence, you are rejecting the premise of the way things are, and you are creating, imagining, designing the way you want things to be. And, uh, by rejecting the way things are completely, you force yourself to create something that's radically different as opposed to some sort of a marginal improvement upon the status quo, right? So by having to design a radically different category, you are stretching the difference between what you're talking about and what we currently are experiencing, right? So the, I would say the mistake that most people are making, right, is first of all, not designing a category, but why, why don't people design a new category? Well, it's because they don't reject the premise of what, uh, how things currently are, of the way things are currently done. They don't reject the premise. They have, you know, they have problems with maybe this thing here and maybe this thing here, but all the problems are marginal. There isn't this feeling of like, I don't, I don't like any of this. The whole thing. And that is really the essence of starting a, a, a category design is rejecting the premise of the way things are in, 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 a, in, in, a, in a way that feels radical, right? If it doesn't feel radical, then you're not gonna be making a radical difference. Why do you think that is? Obviously we can't get into the heads of other people but why do you think so many people have a tough time rejecting the premise, rejecting the status quo and envisioning something different? Well, that's where, because that's where um, comfort, money, 
and status mostly come from in our current uh, 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 society. So in order to reject the premise, you kind of have to reject those things. You, you're probably going to have to take a pay cut. Yeah. And uh, most people don't want to do that. You are going to, the pay cut is nothing compared to the status cut, right? You're going to take a status cut. You're going to take a, a, a um, if you've built your reputation within a mature category and all your speaking events and all your salary and all your reputation is built around um, being known in that mature category, then rejecting the premise of that entire category is impossible. It is impossible. So you have to be a loser in that mature category. You have to be a loser in that mature category to reject the premise. Yeah. You have to Um, choose, choose to not compete in that current category. And you, you have to, you have to do that because you say that this doesn't work. You have to have experienced that level of failure around that current category. So this doesn't work. We, we need, we need to do something radically different. So yeah, I'm trying to try to, you know, come back around to what, to what the original question was here. Um, but you know, I think, uh, uh, I think that that first stage of rejecting the premise is the hardest part. I think people skip right to the categories. They skip right to the, uh, you got problem and solution in this category. Right. But usually usually the problems aren't a rejection of, of the premise. They, they usually have some sort of a marginal problem or a very specific problem. It's not rejection of the premise, you know? And I think that if there's any part where things go wrong, it's that first step in category design. Because if you reject the right premise, everything else follows fairly organically. So... I think a lot of people think of it like they look at an existing category, whatever that is, and they see an existing pie, they see an existing market, and they think, boy, if I can just get a sliver of that pie, then I'll have a lot of money and my life will be pretty good. And so it's this impatience. And I think most people are impatient and most people want to go after that fast. And even though it's not easy, they think they perceive that that's easy money. Yeah. Whereas creating a new category, you're playing the long game. But at the end of the day, that's going to be much more sustainable. Would you agree yeah. with that? Uh, yes, of course. And, and then there's there's basically, you know, degrees of sustainability, right? Um, it's not a black and white thing. It's a spectrum. And so once you once you cross that line over into category design, now you have like, how relevant is this new category? And we find out, right? Uh, because there are lots of flash in the pan, you know, FOMO, uh, you know, uh, 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 categories that just, you know, ex- they explo- have short explosions and then they crash uh, because they lack relevance. Uh, it, it was a new and different shiny object in order to increase uh, quarterly revenues for somebody or to increase valuation for somebody, right? Or to get more, you know, investment for, for, for somebody. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that, that we can talk about, you know, competing in categories versus creating new categories. Uh, and then we can, once we've gotten past that point, because let's say everybody here is sold on category design in a sense, let's just imagine that. Then our discussion moves on to what are the different types of category design? And you, it basically breaks down into two types. There's market design and there's ecosystem design, right? So you either design a new market um, for yourself and, and category design company, companies gen, on average capture 75% of the new market share that they are creating. Right. Um, you see that trend in a lot of places. Now that's average. So there's different examples based on how the execution is. And there's other, there's other parts of, of the business besides just the category design that you can screw up on, right. Or do right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, the category is the base, uh, uh, of everything, uh, 
for me, the, the business design, right? And the product design or the service design and all these things come after category design and ecosystem design. You might have an offer, but the, the idea is that, that that thing's evolving through that ecosystem building process and that category design process. So if I just want to uh, kind of reconnect those two things, I jumped to ecosystem design pretty quickly there. But what, what's the real difference between ecosystem design and market design? Well, you don't design an ecosystem for yourself. You do design a market for yourself to dominate. Uh, yeah. the, the, the top category designers in the world will tell you that. The difference is that you, you know, in, a, in an ecosystem, what you're doing is um, you're connecting missionaries. I'd like to call them category missionaries, people who have a, a bigger purpose for your category, a bigger mission for your category. Um, and uh, by the same token, people who can contribute a unique category to your mission. It goes both ways. Mm -hmm. These are missionaries. Um, and an ecosystem is designed uh, amongst missionaries, right? Um, whereas a market focuses on attracting uh, uh, and retaining transactional opportunists, right? Yeah. Um, you know, everybody gets together generally and they all try to hit a revenue goal together. This is the transactional opportunism. This is this transactional opportunity? Let's all get together and cooperate the best we can, in a sense. Um, but that always falls apart, right? So let's let's dive into that a little bit. So there's ecosystem. Um, there, there's market category design, creating a new market, creating a new ecosystem. Yes. Now, you mentioned how the people who create a new market or the companies who create a new market are able to generally dominate that market. Um, yeah. would you say 75% market share typically on average? On and there's, average. there's lots of examples of that. You know, we, we see examples like whether it's Salesforce in the cloud software space, um, yeah. Tesla in the EVs, EV mm -hmm. space, or even like Google way back in the day with online search engine. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit about why that's the case? Like why do they create that level of dominance? Well, because everything is taking place in the mind right? Everything is taking place in the mind. So the, the person that the person or the, you know, company, the group of people who point out to you a new and different problem, or they point out to you a new way of solving an old problem, a new and different way of solving an old problem. One of those two things, but the people or the person who, who actually makes you aware of that, is creating an, an exponential jump in, uh, uh, in, in, in your level of impact, your level of potential impact, right? Because they are helping you to focus on the, uh, the most relevant thing, right? The right problem, the right solution, right? And if they're the one, the person who educates you about the problem is the person that you will assume has the solution. All the best category designers will tell you that. So that's that's simple psychology. So we could create a new category. Yeah. And create products or a product in that category. And yeah. somebody else could come out with maybe a better version of that, a better mousetrap, but it doesn't matter because psych psychologically, you've already captured the market. You have become synonymous with the problem. Yeah. That's the difference. You have become synonymous with the problem and therefore you are the default solution. Right? Someone else someone else can't just come in and say we're the default solution now, which is what everyone tries to do. It's funny. Yeah. Um, but 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 you 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 can't do that because it's psychological principles. Once that is established uh, firmly in the mind of the population, whatever that relevant population is to, to, to what you're doing, right? But once that, that perception is established of these people are the ones who knew about this different problem or this different solution, right? 
um, before anyone else. And then they, they, they made me aware of that. So the service of making you aware of a non-obvious problem is where the relational kind of and trust equity comes in naturally, right? Whereas when the next people come, they didn't bring you any new uh, awareness to a different problem or a different solution. They don't get any credit for that, right? Now they get 25%. They split 25% with everybody else of new market share right um uh, uh but it, it it's those companies are destined to die quickly right um or just burn a whole bunch of money for a longer period of time right if they can afford to burn more money the longest enduring companies in market economics are category design companies for sure and generally you see there's one big innovative design effort, uh, generally, and then they switch, they switch back into the, into the, uh, uh, you know, capturing market share, optimizing, you know, your efficiency and your operations. And this is what they get into. I'm, I'm not saying there's no place for efficiency and, uh, um, uh, I'm not saying that there's no value to any of that. But my, my point is that it's very, very, it's really the, 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 the money targets that are making them do that because to continually be hitting these targets, um, you, you can't just be creating new categories, right? You can't just be educating people about new things. You have to be capturing existing demand, right? Because otherwise there's no way to hit those numbers. There's just no way to hit those numbers. I think that the bigger, you know, we can we can we can delve into the difference, you know, between, uh, you know, competing in markets and then creating markets. But I actually reject the premise of both. So I I advocate for the third the third option, which is to create an ecosystem, to design an ecosystem, right. using your new category. Your new category is the. Uh, how do I want to say this? It is the beautiful, you know, the sacred offering that you're bringing to the tribe, right? You're, you're, you're making this unique contribution and offering to that ecosystem, to that missionary ecosystem. Um, so when I think of ecosystem, I really think of unique contribution. That's one of the first things that pops into my head. And when I think about you know, markets, I think about competence. I think about doing things that lots of other people can do, right? Um, for money. And, you know, I, I think that competence is pretty sad, actually. It's a very, it's a pretty sad state to operate in. It doesn't sound like it. People think it's kind of a good thing. But the problem is that there's no energy. There's no emotional energy with regard to competence. And this is why markets, market economics and transactional economics is so draining because everybody just wants some competent thing done. They're not actually there to find the gems of unique and inestimable value hidden deep within you and pull those out of the human being, right? And I think that's what ecosystems actually do, right? Yeah. Ecosystems are looking for that uniqueness, that unique thing the human has to offer. And those things all fit together magically around the missions. So I wanna, I wanna dive deep into that more, um, you know, ecosystem and, and creating more of a, a, a missionary type of a business. First, I want to talk about in terms of like for a new entrepreneur, um, you know, what I'm hearing is, is if you're going into an existing market to compete, you mentioned something where you're, you're looking at things like money targets. And so like if you're creating a new business and that's your goal, your goal is just to hit revenue targets. That's going to be a very tough grind. It's going to be a draining type of a business. Whereas if you're creating a new category, you're thinking more in terms of what problems are you solving? Not how much money can you make? The money is more the reward for solving the problems. 
So for a new entrepreneur uh, or an aspiring entrepreneur that has either a business or a business idea, how should they think about this? Think about creating a new category, you know, maybe that's in line with their unique, unique capabilities. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, we can, we can, you know, unique capability is its own, you know, discussion. You know, that's a, there's a lifetime of chiseling away at that and cultivating that, right? Expanding that. Uh, um, So I think, I think that, I don't know if I want to get too deep into the maybe unique capability today, maybe for another day, but um, for someone who's starting out, right? What is unique capability just quickly, right? Well, it's the thing that you're great at that also produces emotional energy. You're going to be great at more than one thing in your life, but not everything's going to produce emotional energy for you. And that really is the, what unique capability is all about. Because when you produce emotional energy, it means that it's sustainable, which means you can get better and better at that thing forever. You get better and better forever. So it compounds over time. Uh, Without the emotional energy, there's no way you could get better and better forever because you can't keep doing the thing. No matter how good you are at it. So the, the first part is self-awareness, is cultivating that self-awareness and the intuition, the sensitivity to your own emotions, understanding your own frustration, your own emotional exhaustion, your own fatigue, right? Understanding what is producing energy and what is draining energy. That is the heart of the matter. You chisel away at that, like the Michael, like the David or the Michelangelo, whatever it is, one, the block of stone, right? You chisel that away over time. You won't have a perfect awareness of it ever, right? But you're going to get more and more aware as you go along. And I also think that the category design goes hand in hand with that because it also is, there is an emotional sensitivity that you need to tap into. Um, you need to understand your own frustration. It has to be clear to you what you're most frustrated about and why. And that leads you to the premise, the, the, the faulty premise, right? That we're going to reject. But if that is not coming from an internal emotional truth, it'll be a flash in the pan again. Let me uh, jump in here real quick just to illustrate that point, because I think that's such a key point in creating a new yeah, category. Huge. It's that, that point of frustration. When you're so fed up with the status quo, when you're so fed up with that premise that yeah. you finally say, screw it, I'm creating something different. That yeah. happened with me, remember, when we first started talking about my career in the wealth management industry. You know, being in this industry that said, you know what, if you don't have half a million dollars, screw you, we're not going to help you, or we're going to try to sell you some high commission products so that we can profit off of you. Um, And also this mentality in my industry that the goal is always to maximize the zeros in the bank account, in the investment account. When I view money more as, like I talked about at the beginning, as a tool, like if I have enough money to live a great life, wake up every morning and love the people that I'm spending time with, do the things that I want to do, then I feel like I'm super wealthy. It doesn't matter how much money is in my bank account. So what we talked about initially with my business is creating this new category that's kind of at the intersection of personal finance and mental health or well-being. Yeah. And so I think sometimes that point of frustration can lead you to what that new category is going to be. And often it's at the intersection of existing categories. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Yeah, you can combine. Well, I mean, you could use the most simple examples ever of combining different categories to create new categories, which is uh, food and beverage. It's the most simple example and most tangible example of this is like, you know, 
you've got uh, uh, you've got ice cream, and then you have popcorn, and then you create popcorn ice cream. That's as simple as it gets, but that's actually a completely new category. I I just so made that up. You're making me think of um, buttered popcorn flavored Jelly Bellies. Because I remember when they first came out with that, that was mind blowing popcorn and jelly beans that never existed before. And now that's the brand that I always purchase when I want to get some jelly beans. So again, to your point, like something so simple can illustrate the power of category design. Yeah. And so that, that's an example of like combining two categories, right? Um, and, And then you, what you, what you also see is you see, um, the designing of subcategories of a big category. Right. So we have pizza. Pizza is a massive uh, category. Okay. We have coal fired pizza. We have brick oven pizza. We have Napolitano style pizza. We have, we can keep going with all these unique styles of pizza, different ways of making it from different places in the world. Right. And um, so for, for, so you, what you really want to do is you're bringing a new and different category that's authentic in here, passion to an area, a geography that doesn't have it where it does not exist. Right. And so I think that a lot of people end up doing the subcategory and, and that makes sense. Some people, uh, reject the entire premise of pizza. Maybe they make something totally different. They're like, I don't even want to do pizza. I've got this, this other thing. We do this totally different thing, but designing subcategories, I think is, is a, is, is a very important part of it, right? Because that's how you bring uniqueness to something that isn't unique. Pizza. Pizza is not unique, but coal fired pizza. That's different. And coal-fired pizza, they're not trying to compete with Chicago deep dish. They're not trying to compete with New York-style pizza. So at the end of the day, category design is like, forget about competition. Forget about it. You're not competing. You're creating something that people don't even know they want, necessarily. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you are, you know, for example, in, in, in that example, it's less of a serious example. It's pizza, right? Like, we're not talking about the end of the world here, right? So the category sure. itself is a little lighter, you know, uh, but there's still some sort of a premise rejection uh, buried beneath it all, right? They're right. not making it as, because it's not so serious. The problem isn't so serious. And so the, the problems I'm rejecting are much more serious, which is why so I'm harping on it, right? Yeah, so let's, okay, let's, switch gears then and dive into that. Um, there's this, you mentioned missionary businesses, you know, and, and there's this idea of a missionary versus a mercenary. So can you talk about the difference between those two things? And then we'll take that a step further. And let's talk about how a group of missionary entrepreneurs that are creating new categories simultaneously can form together and create that ecosystem that you were talking about. So First, can you tell us a little bit about missionary versus mercenary? Yeah. So I, um, you know, on my category adoption curve, I didn't even include mercenaries in there because um, if it felt a little distracting with regard to the people I'm talking to, because the people I'm talking to are so far from mercenary that I'm not really adding anything for them in a sense. Uh, the, the, for them, the difference between missionary and transactional opportunist is the biggest one. Mercenaries mm. are also transactional opportunists, but there's a there's degrees of transactional opportunism. Some are fairly harmless forms of transactional opportunism, and some things are quite nefarious and, une- and extremely unethical. The mercenary. I would say is the extreme of transactional opportunism in which their, their goal is actually to exploit people, right? The mercenary exploits, um, not all transactional opportunists are intentionally trying to do that. So I do make a distinction between your average transactional opportunist and a, and a cat and a category mercenary, right? 
Um, but what what I would say is that you know missionaries are the the, the missionaries here to create relevant change. The missionary is here to evolve something, right? The transactional opportunist is here to make money. Not all those people are mercenaries. The mercenaries are here to make money by exploiting other people. Mm -hmm. Do you see the the difference there, the levels? So I could, you know, break that into three sections, but... I figure I keep it on, on my adoption curves more simple and just lump all the transactional opportunists together because my real point is to focus on the missionaries. It's not the difference between, you know, harmless transactional opportunists and really bad ones. You understand? Yeah. So the difference is between um, a missionary and more of a transactional opportunist. Yeah. A deeper mission where money is the result of providing value on one side or a transactional opportunist where the goal itself is to make the money. That's the difference. The goal itself is the difference, the objective, you know? So, so we talked about, you know, we were, we were given kind of silly examples, right? With jelly beans and, and pizza, but as a missionary entrepreneur, if you're thinking about creating a category that's truly a mission to you and, and you feel deep inside. Give me an example of like a, a, a problem or a premise that you're going to reject and then create a new category to achieve a mission. Yeah. I mean, so I can only speak in terms of on this, I can really only speak for my personal category design, right? Because those are, those are the issues that are true to me. Right. So what's just one example. Um, animal shelters. I hate animal shelters. <laughs> and uh, I think the name is quite nefarious. Right? You know, at this point, animal shelters are really just government-sponsored kill centers, uh, kill prisons for stray dogs and cats. So... Um, <laughs> So that, that's an example of a, of, a, of a premise that I reject. Mm-hmm. I reject the premise of animal shelters, which is crazy because it sounds like a good thing. Right. right. And which is how, why it can be nefarious. Like it can be deceiving because you can put a name on something that isn't what the thing is, that doesn't represent what the thing actually is. So I, I want animal sanctuaries. Now you have to go around a criteria for what, why, what's different. How is an animal sanctuary different than the animal shelters we have right now? Okay. Well, we don't kill the animals. That would be the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Right? We don't kill healthy animals uh, that aren't in some sort of, you know, life-threatening, painful situation. Right? Um, And then everything else would be different. Everything. The interior design, the way the place looks literally the the prison and the animal shelter is the same the animal shelter is arguably worse potentially than our prison system even right everyone's on death row <laughs> so um you know so i i i um it, it's it's such a cold horrible place they made like like jail bars and just just terrible like the people who made this don't give a sh about the animals they don't care about the animals Hmm. so i would make the whole thing look totally different and you know what happens when you turn when you make a prison nobody wants to adopt and go to that place to adopt because you know how bad bad it feels to walk out of there with one animal and leave all the other animals Hmm. that's my personal feeling it makes me not want to go and even adopt one because I, I have to watch all these animals and not take them. Right. So we, we need, we need a warm, welcoming environment. We need it. We need a happy place um, where the animals get adopted. People come there because it's actually a happy place to come to. Why would you want to go to a prison? You know? So that's just one. You can feel my my emotions in it. 
right? You can feel that it's real. The problem is real for me. Yeah. And that's what you need. You need but a real problem. Yeah. And so that's, again, you can feel the passion. You can feel how important that is to you. So that kind of a passion, just sense of purpose um, is important in creating a business, right? And, and that's and, what and, I think and, of as a missionary business. Like, like for me, again, going back to what I was saying is it was very important to me to create a financial services business where I could help people that didn't have significant wealth so that they can get to a point where they do have significant wealth while also serving wealthy people, yes. you know, and, and, and saving them from the exploitative nature of traditional wall street wealth management. And so that's something that I feel very deeply inside about, you know, yeah. because I came from a lower middle-class blue collar community that was ignored by the industry. Nobody helped my parents. Nobody educated my parents on how to save, how to invest, how to build wealth. Yeah. So guess what? You get stuck in that, you know, sort of rung on the societal ladder. There's no way for you to move up because nobody's teaching you how to do this. So yeah. that's something that's very passionate, um, you know, that I'm very passionate about. No, I was just going to say to finish, finish up that thought. I think people need to understand it's like a rubber band, right? is uh, when you when you find that premise, that problem that comes from in here, you're pulling back the rubber band. And it becomes um, it becomes an obligation to create the new category. It's an emotional that obligation. Yes. And that is such a good point because as a new entrepreneur, it's a grind. Financially, you're going to struggle in the beginning and you have to have something more than money that's going to keep you moving forward. If you're just looking at your monthly cash flows, you're going to think, man, I'm a failure. This business is not working. Yeah. You know, but when you have that greater purpose, that's going to keep you moving forward. And that's ultimately what's going to make you a success as an entrepreneur. But not only a success, it's going to be sustainable because you're never going to want to stop doing that work. Because you said, like you said, it's an, obligation. it's an obligation. And so if we can get to a point, if we can get to a point, I know something that you always talk about is shifting from a market economy to an ecosystem economy. Yes. And if we can get to this point where we have several businesses that are run, you know, uh, on the premise of these missions that are very, very important, that are more important than the money yeah. that the businesses yeah. are making, that that's kind of, you know, and some people may call us idealistic for, for even envisioning that, but man, we're, we're getting to a point here where we're going to have to make some changes. You, you talk sometimes about how there is a bitter end to this market economy that we've been in. Can you talk a little bit about the, um, the transition that you'd like to see from this market-based economy where everybody yeah. is competing for market share yeah. to an ecosystem-based economy where businesses that all have you know, missions and purposes that are greater than money mm -hmm. are kind of working together? Yeah, yeah. And so, and so I guess, yeah, we, we were coming from the, from the macroeconomic angle here. And um, yeah, I just think people haven't seen that much. <laughs> and so I think that their ability to see an end to market economics and the way things are is extremely limited. I think that it's important to understand that, you know, transactional economics, competitive economics is not in equilibrium. And so what we mean by that is that there's a clear chronological sequencing. There's a story. There's a clear story that you can see that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Whereas a system that's in equilibrium, you can't tell the difference between beginning and end and middle, actually. It's very difficult to see that difference. Um, for me, the market story is pretty obvious right? It comes from a transactional society uh, created by a transactional society, right? And out of that transactional desire, we create 
new technologies and new capabilities so that we can sell, so that we can make a lot of money. So what happens is that transactional societies, right, they work in markets and they produce a lot of new technology because that's the money grab, okay? Now, technology allows us to communicate and do things faster. Uh, It's like putting the fast forward on your movie on 8X. Let's skip to the end of the movie. Get there quicker, right? Um, And so uh, essentially what we're getting is we're getting transactional economics on speed, right? Now that we're on fast forward, the future will not behave like the past. That's what I'm going to say, mm. right? Because we're on a different speed. As a result, you are going to, you are going to get answers faster. So the domination game is on, is, is on fast forward and we're going to see, we're going to see uh, who dominates, right? And it's, it's always a small group of people who own the economy, right? That's, that's, you- that's essentially what's going on at this point. You had a, a LinkedIn post recently that I loved that talked a little bit about this. And you talked about over time with this transactional society that's on speed, thanks to technology, resources are consolidated into the hands of a small group. Yeah. Um, you know, wealth is consolidated. The vast majority of people across the globe don't have enough money. Therefore, the global economy must run on debt. With each bull market, wealth is consolidated. With each bear market, even more wealth is consolidated. Buying power deteriorates in cycles. So I guess what I'm saying is people, you would think, right? If things are getting getting bad worse, that, that, that would match our kind of technological capability and all these things. But they're inversing. You, so, yeah, you would think, like, when you look under the hood, it's pretty obvious how bad things are getting from a global economic standpoint and, and how scary this this is, that, that this could come to a bitter end, right? Yeah. But on the surface, if you don't look under the hood, everything looks great. Look at all these new technologies. Look at how much our life has improved, right? Apple just created a new category of spatial computing. Now that we have these spatial computing goggles, it's all going to be okay, right? I'm like, ooh, man, you know? And so tying, tying that back into the importance just for um, you know, anyone who's aspiring to create their own business or an entrepreneur who's you know, running their own business right now, and the importance of creating a category is if you're in this environment where all that wealth and power is being consolidated up to the top, are you, as an individual solopreneur, really going to go out there and try to compete with Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk? Don't get into that. Like, don't compete with the existing categories. No, no, no. Reject no. the premise. Create something new that's meaningful to you and valuable to other people. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that people have to understand that all this, you know, cooperation and all this stuff this simply comes from uh, unifying mission and values with people, right? Uh, The people who you really share values with and you, you have, you have an an overlapping mission, right? They're overlapping on each other. Um, Those people are the highest level of cooperation and relationship that you can experience outside of your, immediate family. They are, they are, they're, they're the people that will still be there. They're just still going to be there. Yeah. And I'm starting to see, um, as I grow my business, I'm starting to see this ecosystem kind of forming. Um, I'm a financial planning and wealth management business that specializes in helping, you know, corporate employees, 
escape that miserable existence and pursue more meaningful work. Yeah. There's also coaches that are serving the same people to help them make that transition. I have a tax specialist that helps with business tax planning, you know, complex personal tax planning issues, who also has a, a fee structure that's like mine and that's much more fair than the rest of the industry, who is also serving those people. Right. So we have this ecosystem of businesses that are kind of simultaneously working towards a mission of serving people. And we each can run our own profitable businesses and coexist and collaborate together. Exactly. It's like the concept of all whole lots of businesses all being on the same team is a strange concept to people because we're, we're just not there yet. They, what, what the way things are, they don't see evidence enough to say that that's, that's possible for them because they need to already see it. Right. Mm. And you can find examples of exponential cooperation and unity and things that happen, but they're small pockets, small pockets. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the, the, you know, the, the category missionary, um, the category missionary is the most overlooked piece in the entire, uh, 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 you know, client, client and employee and partner puzzle, right? Because uh, it's all of those. They are all of those. They're clients, they're, they're team members, they're partners, right? Um, or they're just literally, literally like they co-create content with you or they're, they, they have conversations with you. Right. You talk to them every once in a while. There's all these levels of it. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I, I think that the, the, the key to all of it is really category missionaries. Right. If you uh, focus exclusively right on gathering those people, connecting those people. Right. And. You know educating those people about your unique contribution to your category, of course, that is, those are the, those are the raw materials for an ecosystem. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think people, if you want to see the category adoption curve, you go to my LinkedIn profile folks, um, just so you can actually visualize that, uh, how I draw this out. And, um, yeah, I think that it becomes more obvious when you see category missionaries on that adoption map because all the market-based models, they don't show any of that, um, obviously, be because the mission is just to make as much money as possible. So uh, uh, that's that's what's going on. But yeah, I, I, I think, think about and think in small numbers. Think that's the other thing. Once you're thinking category missionaries, all of a sudden, the numbers you're thinking about have shrunk. Now you're thinking about three people, nine people, 27 people, right? These are, these are the kind of tiers you're thinking about, these kind of circles of relationship that you have. Um, rarely in, in the market, the number three is such a small number. It doesn't even seem like something you'd ever think about. Three customers, three employees, three, right? Everything is watered down and wide um, and volume, volume. People churning out every day. The people I see on LinkedIn, you know, these are like really good people, but they work in marketing and they work in, they do all this stuff and they don't last more than like a year at the jobs they're going to. They make it sound all good and dandy on LinkedIn when they, when they leave, you know, all this good stuff. And then why did you stay for only a year? Yeah. Good point. Mm, yeah. So th that's the thing, right? I, I think that there's a lack of missionary of category missionaries and people find out that, you know, most of the time in the marketplace, everybody's a transactional opportunist, you know? Yeah. So you have to be very picky with, with who you're dealing with. It's certainly a new way of thinking, a new way of different thing, uh, doing things differently um, and just kind of breaking free from the status quo. So, uh, Kaleem, 
let's uh we'll go ahead and wrap up but man i really appreciate you coming on and um look forward to having more conversations with you in the future i know that before you were putting together like those books mini books um you know kind of educating people on category design and how entrepreneurs can implement it where can people go to find that information so uh message me directly if you want to read some of the mini books uh i've got three so far i've got a couple more work on that i'm working on but uh we've got missionaries or masses which missionaries or masses and that that that's kind of the punchline right uh of of the focus of market versus ecosystem right markets focus on masses ecosystem focus on missionaries okay then i have another book uh targets and measures and targets and measures i actually that might be my favorite book that i've written so far um it it rejects the premise of revenue targets which is a huge one right <laughs> just me saying that is already like a whoa oh what did you just do you know um yeah, no revenue targets right and i explain exactly why and i explain you know the 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 flaws with targets and measurements and how they're understood by you know market based companies um and then the third one is uh, the demand matrix demand matrix and that that is just where i you know i drew out essentially a a, a quadrant right a little a quadrant um where i position ecosystem designed uh, uh uh relative to three different types of market design right three out of the four quadrants are market-based quadrants and there's one top right quadrant which is ecosystem design and so i'm giving you a um a, a sense of relativity and a sense of the different types of market behavior uh, that you would see as well and um kind of indicating you know because people everyone starts in the market uh i started in the market right i wasn't an ecosystem designer i didn't have any of these ideas 5 years 6 years ago so it's possible you can you can evolve big time yeah. right um but but yeah i think the, the if you want to read one of those books just reach out to me and uh right now you can only get it personally through me it's the only way yeah. so check out kaleem's linkedin profi- uh, profile kaleem k a l i m last name is all a u l l we'll make sure it's in the show notes as well but kaleem um again thanks for coming on man good talking with you again great to see you brian peace all right thanks for listening today And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.